Welcome to the ninth episode of Sociable, a podcast that puts you in the conversation. Through this podcast, we aim to discuss social issues, norms, and observations, all in a sociable manner. I'm your host, David. And I'm your host, Edgar. Today, we also have a very special guest. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, uh, thank you very much, uh, David and Edgar. Uh, my name is Ryan, and uh, currently I'm a final year university student at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Uh, I major in environmental science. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I would say I have a lot of experience uh, in terms of volunteering and also participating uh, in relevant activities in marine conservation, clim- climate advocacy, and youth empowerment. So thank you so much for having me here, everyone. Thank you for being here. Uh, so would you like to tell us about why exactly you got so interested in environmental science? Wow. That is, honestly, that is such an interesting question. A lot of people have asked me when I uh, declared my major at CUHK. Honestly, I don't, I can't really give you a definitive answer. Like that, that is weird enough, but uh, I guess that kind of passion just kind of grew within me uh, when I like started like, uh, uh, I would say approaching this subject. Since I, we, I mean, talking about like high school, I don't think I've ever been exposed to uh, relevant knowledge in uh, environmental science or ecology, except the fact that I took biology as my uh, elective subjects. But other than that, I think that was the time in my freshman year, I got exposed to more knowledge uh, relevant to environmental science. And that was the point I was like, I think that is something uh, that is like my niche interest, something I would like to get involved with even in a deeper personal level. Yeah. But was there not much experience or like exposure to these kind of issues in like secondary school or even primary? Uh, I would say, unfortunately, no. Like uh, back in high school, I don't think, first of all, I was very confused. I was very confused about my future. I really didn't know what I wanted to do, oh. <laughs> letting alone everyone, you know, everyone in high school always, uh, overemphasized on the public examination, right? They really want to do well because that is the only ticket for them to get into a university in Hong Kong. And, you know, knowing that, uh, you know, getting into a university in Hong Kong is already so competitive. We really have to fight our way through uh, the HKDSE, which is the public examination, the diploma of like a secondary education. Uh, Yeah, so, Honestly, I was a part of the system. I, I mean, I would say I'm also the victim in this system. Um, and I just struggled with like what I want to do with my life. Uh, should I be pursuing an undergraduate uh, degree or should I be working already? Should I be studying abroad? Um, so there were tons of questions in my mind. But back then, I don't think I, I have those resources and I, 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 I don't know how to leverage and do research on like, you know, getting connected to people resources, uh, you know, uh, on secondary school. So uh, you reckon it's to do with like the education system in Hong Kong, placing such a large emphasis on things like uh, public examinations. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps what are some things that you don't think it places enough emphasis on, especially in regards to climate action? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, based on my personal experience, I would say so first of all, I would like to clarify, I, I'm not trying to like diss the Hong Kong public education system is so bad, we should totally <laughs> abolish it and learn from the West, not like that, totally, no, 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 no. But we should all acknowledge like to this day, like uh, the Hong Kong's education system is way too exam intensive. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at your, uh, if you look at our like course curriculums, or like if I try to recall my previous uh, high school experience, I would say most of the most of the uh, things that would be covered in our education curriculum is really about like uh, assignments, examinations, and just like sub- like those are the only uh, indicators to assess how well we know about this particular subject. And particularly uh, in Hong Kong's education system, environmental education or climate change education is not even like a standalone subject already. So it's already so hard. Uh, it's like a major hurdle, to be honest, to incorporate these knowledge and these subjects into other uh, into other core subjects, such as uh, liberal studies, which uh, you know uh, doesn't exist anymore uh, in uh, in the HKDSE. Maybe in science, like you know, integrated science, as well as elective subjects such as uh, physics, uh, chemistry, and biology. But they can only cover so much because they have so much to teach. And honestly, the system is built on that public examination. So I kind of understand that why educators, you know, teachers cannot really dedicate a certain amount of time to environmental education and at least talk about what climate change is about and those relevant concepts such as uh, climate refugees, maybe like you know sea level rise, ocean acidification. They could cover something, but they couldn't cover everything. And I guess that's why students nowadays in Hong Kong could know so much. And if they really want to know more about it, like like you and I do, we can go online, you know, thanks to technology and like internet, we can go online and search so much information. But if you're asking about like at schools, there's not a lot you can do about it. Yeah. I feel like as an international school kid, there's like a lot more exposure to that kind of thing from our side because you can participate in like extracurricular activities. There's like events, assemblies, but I think the kind of issue on both sides is like the lack of emphasis on urgency because in international schools, a lot of kids kind of treat it like as a joke class, basically, if there is one. And I feel like that kind of, yeah, that's a problem, but it's not really something we can explicitly address, you know? I feel like local schools probably have assemblies and things like that as well. But yeah, like I get what you mean. Um, in international schools, there's probably a greater emphasis placed on it. Um, but as you said, uh, our school has the equivalent of a homeroom period where we learn about different kinds of things and environment, uh, like the environment is one of them. But a lot of kids probably just treat it as a joke class. They don't really take it seriously. They kind of just meme on it. So in that case, then what do you think the school, what do you think the education system could do to try to solve that or to try to get more interest in these subjects? Uh, so I, I so uh, before I, I respond to this question, I remember we actually talked very briefly last week and I remember Edgar, yeah, sorry, I think both of you actually mentioned about like, you guys have like a 15 minute uh, kind of like section introducing different kind of field that you can actually study and major in at university. For example, uh, philosophy, right? Philosophy, psychology and something and i was like you, you could tell my face like i was like mind blown back then. i was like wait you guys at least have 15 minutes for that because <laughs> when i was uh, when i was at high school there's no such thing as like let's talk about psychology for 15 minutes so you guys be interested like nothing like that we just have to keep on with the schedule because everything is so packed up and you know if you just lost that 15 minutes you're way behind schedule as compared to other classes and that honestly would give a lot you know gives a lot of pressure to the educators and also the students, because 
let's say the educators are not really like uh, really passionate about teaching or they, if they don't really care about students, then we as students have to keep up with ourselves. We have to like go back and self-study, go on, you know, like Kahan uh, Academy <laughs> to learn those, yeah. those contents, right? So I, I, I still can relate to that because sometimes we do have to like, you know, rely on ourselves and make sure like we're doing well in terms of like, you know, academics. So uh, I was I, I was very impressed and I was I'm very shocked that uh, those, uh, you know, that 15 minute can be incorporated into, uh, you know, in international schools in Hong Kong. And at least I would say at least the bare minimum is that you guys can know what psychology is. You guys know what political science is, you know, because political science, honestly, in Hong Kong, a very sensitive topic. Right. So I don't think <laughs> Hong Kong schools will ever make it happen. Right. Uh, but yeah, back to that question. Whoa, I I'm not really experienced in that because, you know, talking about systemic change can take so much time, you know, and also lobbying from like, you know, politicians and like, you know, people affiliated with that. It takes a lot of efforts. It takes a lot of like uh, persuasion and a lot of like, incentives to make it happen. But as an as a student or like a potential educator, all I really want is to enforce the experiential learning, I guess. I think like uh, nowadays, a lot of schools, a lot of uh, countries have been emphasizing on this concept. So for some people who, you know, listening to this podcast right now, who don't really know what experiential learning is, I think it's just basically just push the kids and students, you know, to to somewhere outside, uh, you know, outside the learning environment, aka the schools, right? You can get to exposed to different opportunities. So while we're talking about environmental education, so if we're going to put it in uh, in terms of uh, experiential learning, well, we're just basically putting those kids and in, uh, into like a forest or like mangroves and, you know, letting them experience like, oh, this is what it's like, you know, instead of like what it looks like in the textbook. Oh, this is actually what it looks like in real life. And whoa, why there's so many marine debris, you know, why so many rubbish, uh, you know, covering around. So you can actually let them know and get exposed to the real life experience of like what the natural environment is like being like uh, interfered by human activities, right? Uh, the mask nowadays, even the rapid antigen test can exist in the beaches. Like, can you guys believe that? Like, it's, it's totally ridiculous. You can even find a sofa, you can find a fridge up there. You can basically get those stuff and then build your own home, honestly. Like, you can find everything in the beaches and like in the sea and also in the mangrove forest nowadays. So it's completely insane. But those kind of harsh truth needs to be exposed to those students and they can learn more from the real life environment and that's how they can apply those knowledge in a real life setting right so um yeah i, I think that is the that is the, my two cents uh in terms of that experiential learning uh because i think university i would say they give like you know a certain freedom for people to choose and they can have few studies which is already very nice and as a student i appreciate it but when it comes to primary or secondary schools maybe not so much because of that education system and those exam intensive system going on there i feel like that's kind of an important point like we shouldn't we there should be an integration of climate change education into the education system somewhat like you see um like say the igcc biology syllabus that has some climate change aspects in it but it shouldn't at all be forced upon students i think um, experiential learning is quite a key element in it. People who are passionate about it will pick it up and like chase it and pursue it. But then people who aren't maybe turn to other fields, which I think is fine, honestly. But I think that's pretty important, yeah. Yeah, and I think another way of looking at it is 
quite a lot of subjects, especially in IGCSE syllabus, also start to integrate some um, environmental knowledge into them. For example, in biology or chemistry, uh, there are some aspects of the syllabus pertaining to like which resources are better for the environment and why it's therefore important that we strive to use them more often. Um, those are the kinds of things that I think that's also another method of trying to get students more like engage in these uh, kinds of topics by integrating it into things that they're already passionate about and that they're interested in. Um, yeah, I think for other subjects like math might be difficult, but in general, I think that's another way that students can become more engaged in um, climate action and environmental studies. Yeah. Uh, Eka, if you don't mind me jumping in, I think you raised a terrific point when it comes to Hong Kong. It's honestly, it's, I would say at this moment, it's virtually impossible to, to like, oh, let's declare as environmental education or climate science as a standalone subject. Like, let's be honest about yeah. it. I'm a student. I was a student back at high school. Why do I want another extra subject to be in my report card and give me more pressure, right? So I think there must be concerns being raised by, obviously, the students, the parents and also the institutions, because, you know, we still have to talk about the system, how to incorporate that, you know, that, that, that certain field of topics into this, uh, into this, uh, I will, I would say traditional format. So it gives a lot of pressure on the educators, like how to allocate the time if it actually becomes a standalone subject. And also for students and parents, they will feel like, oh, you give that a lot of pressure on my kids. And I really want them to succeed and get into a university. What if this subject, you know, this additional subject would cost, you know, more than what is learned, you know, from that subject. So obviously, at the end of the day, Hong Kong still cares about like, uh, I guess, like, you know, the exams and the scores and whether you can get into a university and guarantee the students a successful future. So there's a lot of things to really weigh in and kind of like balance it out and trade off. But uh, yeah, I, I think at this moment, uh, maybe incorporating those elements into different subjects, like what you said in chemistry and biology, yeah, especially for biology, because it's really highly relevant. Uh, I think it should work. I think it should work if there are more incentives and the government can actually listen to different opinions from different stakeholders. Uh, for example, local environmental educators, uh, people working in the NGOs, or even local youth, uh, you know, uh, specializing in climate efficacy. I think those are some things that, you know, those are some major takeaways that government should definitely uh, adopt, given that, you know, a lot of resources and a lot of professionals specialized in that field. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, uh, like, maybe to move on into another related aspect of it, mm -hmm. uh, do you think students in Hong Kong are very motivated to take on climate action? Uh, because I think obviously, no matter what the education system does, students also kind of have to buy in to whatever they're doing. And I think in a like very urbanized city like Hong Kong, um, in contrast to other places where perhaps there's a greater diversity of backgrounds or a greater diversity of opinions, uh, and Hong Kong is quite like homogenous in that regard. So do you think students in Hong Kong are maybe would also be interested in these topics in the first place? Uh, I'm interested in, uh, in hearing uh, more about uh, you, uh, your opinion in terms of you know, international <laughs> school settings, but maybe uh, I, I should go first. I would say yes and no. And uh, I would say 
I, I said yes because I think at the end of the day, students are curious. They're curious learners, and if you're at school, you would definitely want to know more about everything and what is going on. And I think that kind of、uh, incentives is already enough to to kind of like actualize climate actions and allow them to empower like their like like-minded peers to、uh, do something for the environment and for the climate. However, given the education system we're in, and also that kind of learning mode, learning style that we are, I would say we are kind of forced to adapt in.、Uh, it's it's very hard for us to, I would say to、uh, put ourselves out of the comfort zones. So I would say,、yeah. it, education, right? You cannot just like, oh, let's enforce it at the, you know, post uh post secondary level. And I'm pretty sure people will be more aware of it. It doesn't work like that. Education really works from when we were young, from a family, when you're in kindergarten, or even when you're in primary school. And I think that is one of the major challenges in Hong Kong because we don't really enforce enough environmental edu- education in、uh, primary and secondary schools. Yes, you might have done a lot when you're in college. Like I can pick like those、uh, relevant sustainable、uh, courses, like. Something about like、uh, sustainability in China,、uh, sustain,、uh, sustainable challenges around the world. Something relevant to global studies, and you can, you know, you can enroll interdisciplinary subjects in terms of that, and that is good for un- university students, right? In terms of the all-rounded development, and also,、uh, I would say,、uh, yeah, all-rounded development, and also education. But when it comes to primary and secondary school students, I don't think they have been exposed enough. And that really makes them to take a step back. Honestly, take multiple steps back, and you can still see a lot of people. I think sometimes I see high school students in Hong Kong. They they order bubble tea, which is also one of the things we always do. It's such a it's such a trendy、yeah. things we we used to do nowadays. And there are a lot of plastic, like a lot of plastic cups, plastic containers involved. But I guess this we should not blame them for like, oh, why don't you like do more research on that? Why don't you just stop using plastics? Maybe we should also take take a step back、uh, as like individuals who are more experienced and more exposed to that field. Maybe there's like another、uh, major cause, root cause behind. Maybe it's really about the education system after all, because they haven't been exposed to those kind of knowledge, and and that's why you know one thing led to another, and that's why there are still a lot of teenagers who really want to do something about it. But what stops them is the kind of like knowledge. At that kind of resource that they have in hand and at schools, I don't know about like international school settings, but what is it about? Honestly, I'm curious. Yeah. Do you mean like are there students passionate about climate change in international? Oh、schools? yeah. Oh yeah, I yeah. think, like I agree with the yes and no thing. Like I know it's a vague answer, but I feel like there's students, there there's a niche for like every subject. There are passionate students for like whatever physics, whatever English, even. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are definitely like in that regard, students passionate about climate change. But as you said, it's really like a lack of exposure and emphasis that the subject has. Also, one one thing that you said I found interesting was like the bubble tea thing. I feel like you can do as much as you can to kind of try and halt climate change as an individual. You can stop using plastic bags. You can,、uh, I don't know. You can recycle all the plastic in your house and live in like a paper house, but. At the end of the day, it's really like corporate side action that really needs to be、mm-hmm. done to kind of address this. Because even if like a hundred thousand people stopped using plastic bags, you know the companies really start to need to do something to address it. And I feel like there's a lot of 
misinformation as well. Like with reusable bags, I think the statistic is to have a cotton bag equate to the carbon footprint of a plastic bag, you need to reuse it like 7,000 times or something. And assuming you're shopping like twice a week, that's like, what, 70 years? And I feel like people kind of need to know that the solution isn't always let's stop using plastic bags. Maybe they can pressure corporations or the government or try and do more research, something like that. So what's kind of your stance on that topic? Oh, uh, I think both corporates and individuals do have a role in terms of environmental protection and, you know, uh, advocating actions towards sustainable development in general. However, I have to admit that corporations in general do have a, do have more power and uh, uh, an uh, and authority when it comes to climate actions and try to like uh, influencing customers' decisions and choices. Because like what you mentioned, David, like uh, they can also keep, you know, using those green concepts like, oh, uh, even though we may have, uh, you know, uh, provided plastic bags, but if you pay $5, you can purchase, you can get our uh, our own unique uh, brand of uh, reusable shopping bags and you can use that next time. But I'm pretty sure so many companies have been doing that. And the I'm pretty sure at my house, I have, my family has saved more than 30. Do I really need that many shopping bags? Honestly, I, I don't think I'm a, I'm not, a, I'm not a shopaholic. I'm not, I don't really like, you know, consuming and buying a lot of things, but maybe because of the consumption voucher, I may, I might, I might have some doubts, uh, but uh, I don't think I actually shop a lot. And I don't think a lot of people like in terms of like a Hong Kong individual would actually spend so much money and just bring so many bags in just one day. So I think that kind of um, marketing strategy is not like, it's not green at all. It's not sustainable at all. Uh, however, I would say a lot of, uh, companies i don't know if they're trying to like greenwashing everything and jump on the bandwagon because everyone is talking about climate change nowadays but i think i there's there's some development i would say some good development going on in terms of companies trying to uh uh implement and incorporate the green sustainable concepts into their business uh into their business strategy they will be talking about like okay let's have more climate-based solutions let's have more bankable nature solutions Let's talk about circular economy that can actually provide long-term benefits to our community, to our organization as a you know profit-driven company, as well as you know as well as like you know in terms of the international developments, everything can work. And I, we like we can tell like we really appreciate those kind of efforts going on, and people are actually serious about like yeah, it's not climate change anymore; it's climate crisis. It is actually happening and. It is an impending crisis that needs to be dealt with the future generations, aka us, and also our children, our grandchildren, right? So, yeah, coming to this day of age when we talk about like, you know, sustainable development and more robust climate actions to be made, I think corporations uh, in general should really step up even more as compared to individuals because, like, what you both have just mentioned, individuals can do just so much about it. Like we can like, you know, conduct like uh, self-initiated, uh, you know, beach cleaner activities. We can protest, you know, on the streets, which a lot of actually a lot of local youth have been doing. And I really, I really like applaud that because I don't think I would have the guts to do it. Like, you know, as an individual just standing by the pier and just like, you know, stop climate change, you know, like, you know, stop climate crisis. We should do something right now. 
takes a lot of motivation to do that yeah exactly exactly (laughs) so yeah that's all i have to say that's all i have to say corporations Mm. really need to step up in terms of that yeah if if i may jump in um Mm -hmm. while i agree like from a realistic perspective corporations probably need to enact change i feel like that's also kind of a defeatist attitude because i think a lot of people tend to slip into that mindset of like oh it's the corporations that need to change and then the sort of invisible conclusion of that sentence is it's not us because mm-hmm. i feel like people tend to say that to avoid their own personal responsibility but the fact of the matter is there are things you can do even if the effects are quite minimal i feel like people ought to also take personal responsibility and i think there are two reasons for that the first is because like insofar as you change your own personal behavior that sort of maintains that motivation to also campaign for greater change in the world so like if if you use a cloth bag every day sure in reality you're probably not making that much of a difference until you use that cloth bag like 70 times but in making that decision every day you're in like every day making sure you're willing to go through those small inconveniences for the sake of making the world a slightly better place i think you're able to sort of keep in that good in, in that mindset of like there's a goal that you want to achieve and i think that's quite useful whereas if you merely fell back on this idea of the corporations needing to change, I think at the end of the day, you would probably give up on that eventually if you're not seeing much difference. Um, But also secondly, because I think to a certain extent, your personal behavior does affect corporations, right? As in like Mm -hmm. corporations are profit driven, but they're profit driven if there's profit to be made. Meaning that if all of their customers think individually, oh, there's nothing I can do, I might as well use these plastic bags, and corporations see that their customers want plastic bags, then they're going to keep supplying that. So I think to a certain extent, it's about solidarity. Like if everyone makes that personal decision, like maybe, just maybe, you can also influence uh, and change the sort of mental calculus that these companies also go through. So I think in that Mm -hmm. case, it is important to also not just be defeatist and to also admit maybe we each have some individual responsibility in the situation. I think you raised a good point. Yeah, I I think I I can elaborate more on that. But while you're just talking about like, we are the defeaters, because actually, I feel like in terms of business, in terms of corporations, as customers, I feel like we don't really have a say. That's the thing. Like In terms of like local, regional and international settings, they they would say we value your opinion. Like, you know, they'll always put it on the banner. They're like, oh, we value your opinions. But do you though? Like, because they if you actually raise, don't. yeah, they don't. Because when I was at the cashier, all I can see is like tons of plastic bags right there. And like even cash, okay, we're not going to blame on cashiers because obviously they don't have like adequate trainings upon like, you know, something like that. They, they, they're not, when you're in the wet markets, when you're in the supermarkets, when you're even in like, I'm not going to mention the brand, but like, fashion stores, right? They will automatically like just grab it instead of asking you, do you need a plastic bag? I, I would say it's pretty w- rare for me when I'm shopping. I would always I would always need to be the one to like no plastic bags in a very assertive way. I don't mean to be rude, but I just don't want it. But it's already too late. Mm-hmm. In 0.1 seconds later, they already rip it. And I feel bad because I mean, yeah. this is considered as dirty in terms of the pandemic. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not giving it, the cashier is not giving it to me. She's going to leave it to the next customer. If the next customer sees it, it's like, oh no, I'm going to get COVID. You know, there's a lot of like misinformation mm-hmm. and also those, you know, lack of education going on. And just, you know, such like uh, subtle and just like insignificant acts, you can tell customers don't really have a say. And as workers in that company, 
they don't even know. They're just working to get that money and to, you know, just barely, you know, surviving on their own. And they can never think about the bigger picture, which sounds fair because there's just the workers here. But if we really, if we really want to make it happen, we should put everyone into it. Like, you know, we have to put everyone accountable and we should educate each and every one of them how to be responsible consumers, how to be responsible companies in terms of climate actions, right? So I think you raised a very good point, Edgar, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, sorry, wait, David, do you have any opinions on this topic as well? <laughs> um, I was kind of listening, but I also kind of forgot what you were talking about. But it was something along, about time, along the lines individual of- res Individual responsibility versus lobbying for corporate action. Oh yeah, wait, <laughs> I raised that, didn't I? Okay, anyway. Um, yeah, I think, I think you're right in saying that we need to keep a strong mindset, but I, I don't think, um, that the point is to, you know, have a good positive mindset about it. It's to really enact change and you can't really enact change when you, you're not really facing the facts of the matter, I feel like, but mm -hmm. I think there's all, all of us have a responsibility to kind of contribute to this crisis well not contribute to the crisis but contribute to solving the crisis but yeah yeah but there's very specific ways in which we should do it and i don't think just like you know not mm -hmm. using a plastic bag every day is really the mm -hmm. best way mm -hmm. and on the yeah. topic do you think Wait, there's sorry if, if, I, if i could just say one last thing yeah um ryan so you said before like people actually have very little voice and i mm -hmm. think to a certain extent that is true because like, even if you're talking about, like, voting for green politicians in a yeah. country, uh, like, say, okay, say the United States, right? 300, mm -hmm. a population of, like, 300 million. How many, mm -hmm. how many of those people are, like, voting age adults? Probably, like, not sure, but probably around yeah. 200 million or, or 150. Not sure. But point yeah. is, even within a specific state of those, of that United States, what are the odds that your vote will actually mean anything? Because mm. there's almost no election in history where the outcome is decided by one singular vote. So realistically, if you whether you put your vote into the box or not, you're not going to change the outcome of the election. You really can't do anything. In that case, then do people really have political power? Given that like your vote won't really mean anything. I think that kind of shows that the actual process of voting is not probably not as significant as people might make it out to be. Of course, it's still important uh, that it's afforded to people, but I think people also do tend to overestimate the amount of like sway that they can really have over the government, considering they're just one person amongst millions and millions. That's true. Anyway, it's not about yeah, individual power. It's about the power yeah. that the group has as Some a whole, but also indeed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The electoral college is messed up. Anyway. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Ooh. Future okay. episode. Future episode. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, are there any like last thoughts you want to put in? Maybe like how people can take some actionable steps to maybe do something? Oh, definitely. I think uh, I would say I'm pretty late coming uh, as like, I, I wouldn't call myself a climate advocate, but when it comes to climate actions, I would say I'm a late coming to the party since I'm not trying to blame on high school, but it's true. Like I really don't have the resources and I was struggling with my high school examination. I didn't really know what I want to pursue in the future until now. 
And I, I would say I'm very privileged. I'm very fortunate enough to realize my passions, and I intend to maintain it that way. To you know, maybe pursue further studies, to work abroad in、uh, you know irrelevant industries, and helping maybe youth engagement, community building. I think those are some meaningful things I would like to be you know be the one to change the world.、Um, so I would say some advice about that. I would say, don't be like me back then.、Uh, Even though you're unsure, but you know you have a slightest bit of interest and passion, reach out to people, reach out to your friends at school who are、uh, passionate about that. You know, figure things out together. Since you guys are all, you know, more or less, you know, on the same boat, you guys don't know anything, and that's the good thing because that means you guys have so much more opportunities to discover and explore by yourselves. Maybe you guys can already start up like an Instagram account, a podcast channel, like you know, like David and Edgar has been doing. I have been. Repeating it on and off, but when I first met them and reached out to them, I, I envy them and I respect what they've been doing because I don't think a lot of youths in Hong Kong would have the guts and the courage to do that. And that is the first step we definitely need as future change makers of the world, right? So I think it's so cliche. The first step is always reaching out to your teachers, your mentors, just your friends.、Uh, Yeah, someone even like around the world, just reach out to them. I'm pretty sure you can learn something from them, and you can actually start your own climate actions.、Uh, I would say the second suggestion I would give is to like not to restrict yourself, because I was, I mean, I am still an environmental science student, and back then I thought like, oh, as long as I equip myself with environmental science knowledge, it is more than enough, and I can just be fine with it when I, you know. Uh, work in the future, but that's not true. Coming to the working industry, or when you are working in terms of、uh, youth empowerment and like climate advocacy, there are so much more you need to know about that. For example, some transferable skills you need to learn how to write, maybe draft like、uh, a press release document when you end up being like、uh, being the one, the sole organizer of like、uh, a press release. What do you have to say to the public? What do you have to say to the Uh, to the、uh, social media press, and there's so much more you have to work with your team, and that really comes to collaborating, com-、uh, collaboration, and communicating skills. So there's so much more, and I've learned so much along the way since like a freshman at college. And、uh, I would say never give up, never give up, never restrict yourself, and do reach out to other people. And that's how we, as like you know, young adults and youths in Hong Kong, can really like put some pressure, maybe a little bit adequate amount of pressure. To the stakeholders that need to be uh, take, uh, taken accountable, yeah, that is something I would some some advice I would love to give to myself to remind myself again, and also to some people who felt like they are stuck right now, but you guys do have the power to make a difference in the world. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, that's very inspiring. <laughs> and also on that note, we're kind of reaching the end of our time. So if there's like any shoutouts you want to make or something, then now's the time. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, so uh, first of all,、uh, thank you so much, David and Edgar,、uh, again for inviting me to、uh, to this podcast. I think this conversation is very insightful, and you know, every one of us here right now, I'm pretty sure, maybe the major audience is like youth and just like young adults who are just interested in this topic. Maybe like a clickbait is like, oh, I like this t- kind of topic, and I'm glad you guys are already in this podcast.、Um, But yeah,、uh, if you guys want to know more about maybe my climate journey or just like some shenanigans going on in my life, you guys can follow me on Instagram,、uh, superb like S U P E R B underscore Ryan Yip one two one six. 
Uh, that might be a little bit complicated, but I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, we can figure things out later uh, with uh, David and Edgar. Other than that, um, as you can see, I don't think everyone can see that, but I'm pretty sure Edgar and David can see that. It is one of our uh, climate advocacy groups uh, organized by uh, ourselves, like my group, Ace and I, and we call it Climate Sense. So to be brief, we feel like climate change education should be something that should be common sense. And to make it easier and as a gimmick, we make it like Climate Sense. So if you guys want to find out more about um, the future events and some advocacies we're promoting in Hong Kong, you guys, you guys can also follow us on Instagram uh, at climate sense underscore HK. So climate sense underscore HK. And uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, most of the advocacies and the captions are in Cantonese and Chinese at this moment. However, we are going to try to, you know, explore more and to reach out more audience, uh, especially people coming from other countries, international students. Uh, I have uh, some friends who are actually international students who are really passionate about our accounts, but they don't know too much about it. And I feel bad about it, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure my group mates and I will figure things out and uh, we'll organize more exciting events and more informative content for everyone who want to know more about how we should really incorporate uh, climate change education in Hong Kong's uh, primary and secondary schools. Uh, so stay tuned uh, and I, I'm looking forward, like myself, I'm looking forward to seeing more changes happening in Hong Kong. So that's about it, yeah. Yeah, so uh, to everyone out there, please make sure to check out uh, Climate Climate Sense. Yes, um, Climate Sense. Yeah. yeah, so you mentioned it's mostly in Cantonese, but um, but I assume a lot of people people who listen to this probably live in Hong Kong, probably know Cantonese anyway. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, so once again, thank you so much for um, like hosting with us. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. We found that very interesting. Uh, you have a thank lot you. to share. <laughs> About sorry, I'm hiccuping. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, was that audible? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wait, I'll just continue it. If it's... Okay, no, so yeah, keep that. That keep that. <laughs> I'm I'm keeping that, that in. I'm not editing that out. Oh, <laughs> I just had lunch. Okay. Uh... Okay, so on that note, um, go follow our Instagram as well at sociable yeah. underscore official. Um, all the links and stuff will be in the description. So yeah, check that out. And this is probably the first episode that I don't really have to edit much because there weren't really much pauses or like um, um, hiccups, um, kind of oh. ironically, mm. but oh well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. so great. thank you. That's great. Yeah. And thank on that so note, much. we will see everyone who made it to here next time. So bye. Bye. bye.